We have been discussing the first Panchen Lama's text on the Galukagyu tradition of Mahamudra. And we saw that the presentation is divided into the preparation, the actual teachings, and the concluding procedures. And with the uh, preparatory uh, practices, we saw that this entails having this safe direction in our life and the bodhicitta aim. And then building up these uh, networks of positive force and deep awareness. And doing some at least temporary purification with Vajrasattva practice. And then making requests to the Guru for inspiration. And then imagining that our Guru comes to the top of our head and merges with us, which then produces a very blissful, intense state of mind. Hmm. Somebody asked a question yesterday about how bodhicitta fits in with the actual main practice. Of focusing on the nature of the mind. And although the nature of the bodhicitta mind is the same nature as any other moment of cognition. Nevertheless, uh, we might not necessarily be meditating on the nature of the bodhicitta mind. But uh, what I should uh, mention, since this is not always made so clear, is that we have a distinction between what can be called labored bodhicitta and unlabored bodhicitta. Labored means that you build it up with labor, with work. You have to go through a line of reasoning in order to actually generate the bodhicitta aim. Unlabored is you don't have to go through that process. Zulme and Zulche. That's that's Jiva and Jume. This is Zulwa and Zulche and Zulme. Zul, 
существует две разновидности бодхичиты. Одна из них бодхичита with uh, labor in other words you have to work through a line of reasoning everybody's been my mother and they've been kind and so on and then you uh, generate bodhicitta and the other doesn't require this effort or labor to go through that line of reasoning some context it could be called uh, uh, um, contrived and uncontrived bodhicitta but the usual term here is this labored and unlabored and when we have this uh, uncontrived bodhicitta then we actually uh, uh, have that's the boundary line not uncontrived the unlabored bodhicitta that's the boundary line for having uh, what's usually translated as the path of accumulation so the building up pathway mind the mind where you build up from there you start with uh, this uh, unlabored bodhicitta and that's where you actually enter the Mahayana path as a bodhisattva not enter the bodhisattva path but start these five paths now, Shantideva, in the first chapter of uh, Bodhicharya Avatara, engaging in Bodhisattva behavior, says that once you reach this stage, in which you have this unlabored bodhicitta, then you have that all the time, day and night, even if you're asleep, even if you're drunk, you still have this uh, bodhicitta, and it's constantly building up more and more positive force. Now, what in the world does that mean? What it means is that we have, as I mentioned uh, uh, previously, uh, the possibility of many cognitions simultaneously. Uh, 
определенных сосуществующих во времени единомоментных когнитивных актов. And so, once we achieve this unlabored bodhicitta, then we have this bodhicitta mind, this bodhicitta cognition, manifest all the time. Manifest all the time. The only uh, questionable uh, moment is at the time of total absorption, non-conceptually on voidness, and here the different Galukpa monastic textbooks disagree, have different opinions about what happens to bodhicitta at that time, because bodhicitta is conceptual and this is the non-conceptual absorption on voidness. But we'll leave that discussion aside. Now, when we have bodhicitta manifest all the time, that doesn't mean that we are paying attention to it. Hmm. Because uh, when we have various uh, types of cognition manifest at the same time, the amount of attention that we pay to them will vary. So, this is quite interesting because the difference that we make in our Western terminology is very different. In our Western terminology, we would say when you are asleep, bodhicitta is unconscious, but from the Buddhist analysis, uh, bodhicitta when we're asleep is still manifest. It may be unconscious from a Western point of view, but it's manifest. It's happening. It's manifest when we're asleep. Now, what does that actually mean? The way that my teacher explained this is that it means that we, no matter what we're doing, we still have that aim in life. We never ever lose the aim in life that we are striving for enlightenment in order to benefit everybody. Whether you're actively thinking of that or not. 
что бы мы ни делали в жизни, мы всегда имеем подсознательно или осознанно эту цель, это стремление к достижению просветления ради принесения блага всем живым существам. Мы можем думать об этом, мы можем не думать об этом, но она всегда присутствует за каждым, она всегда в нашем уме. So that also gives us another little piece in the uh, puzzle concerning uh, what actually is mind. And mind, this mental activity, can be, if we use our Western parameters, conscious or unconscious, still mental activity. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's still mental activity. We're still talking about mind in Buddhism. However, I always recommend to people, and it's also one of my teachers, Kishi Nalantarge, always recommended, is that we don't try to apply an external system to Buddhism to try to make sense of it because all that's going to happen is that we're going to get confused. So while we are doing Mahamudra meditation on the nature of the mind, there's still manifest bodhicitta occurring simultaneously. Итак, понимаете это так, что когда мы медитируем на Махамудру, пытаемся постичь, фокусировать на природе нашего ума, а параллельно, попутно присутствует в нашем уме проявленная мысль бахичистой. And even if we have perfect shamatha, you know, completely stilled and settled mind, perfect concentration on whatever we might choose as a topic, still we could have bodhicitta manifest and that doesn't interrupt the consciousness, the concentration. Hmm. So I find this actually quite helpful to keep this in mind because I must say that before I got this clarification I had quite a different idea of what perfect concentration meant. Mm-hmm. That I thought, you know, there's absolutely nothing else going on at the same time. Hmm. So we see that mental activity in mind is much broader than what we might expect. Then we went on to the main part of the text. And we saw that uh, 
The way that the Pinchen Lama is going to explain this is in terms of the sutra system. And within the sutra system, he's going to explain it in terms of first gaining a state of concentration and then gaining the understanding of voidness. И с точки зрения сутры он излагает путь, который подразумевает первоначальное достижение определенных высот в концентрации, шаматы, сосредоточения, и затем переход к исследованию анализа пустот. Uh, division within sutra which covers not only Mahamudra meditation but any type of uh, meditation that first we strive to get concentration and then strive to get uh, an understanding of voidness Penjan Lama then continues with the discussion of gaining shamatha or perfect uh, uh, what should we say stilled and settled state of mind perfect concentration on the conventional nature of the mind И в этом более, так сказать, обширном контексте медитации сутра, которые, безусловно, включают больше, чем только медитация Махамудры, и говоря о изначальном достижении, первоначальном достижении концентрации, фокусировки сознания или шаматхи, он переходит к тому, какие условия необходимы для достижения успеха в этой медитации, как необходимо успокоить ум и выработать направленную концентрацию. And one of the points that he makes is that uh, in uh, other traditions of Mahamudra, even if they gain both shamatha and vipassana on the mind, the way that uh, they are explaining it in these other traditions is just gaining shamatha and vipassana on the conventional nature of the mind. They haven't really looked at the deepest nature. И также первый Панчен Лама автор оговаривается, что другие традиции, говоря о достижении шаматхи и випашины в отношении ума, не, не уточняют, что они имеют в виду, а по его мнению они говорят именно о достижении ничего иного, как, кроме как шаматхи и випашины в отношении, в отношении относительной и условной природы ума, но не абсолютной. Vipassana is not, uh, you know, if you have Vipassana, it is not pervasive. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't follow necessarily that Vipassana is focused on voidness. You have Shamatha and Vipassana on a large variety of different topics. Это вовсе не означает, из этого не следует необходимости, что Випашина это объектом своим имеет пустотность или абсолютную истину. Как мы упоминали, Випашина или сверхвидение возможно в отношении любого объекта. И в данном случае, как говорит первый Пантин Вама, это относительная природа ума. And in fact, both Shamatha and Vipassana are found in non-Buddhist systems as well. И опять же, как мы уже говорили, и Шамаха, и Випашина возможны в отношении любых объектов и встречаются, не являются эксклюзивно буддийскими практиками, медитациями, встречаются в волнах других традициях. 
knowing the defining characteristic of mind in order to be able to then focus on it. And we saw that this uh, defining characteristic of the conventional or superficial nature of the mind was uh, consisting of three words that are usually translated as clarity, awareness, and the word merely or only. And we saw that uh, uh, what we're talking about here is the mental activity of experiencing a cognitive object. And we're talking about individual subjective experiencing of something. And the experiencing of something can be described in terms of the subjective aspect of it. From one point of view, it is the um, arising or making arise of a cognitive object. And from another point of view, it is an engagement with that, a cognitive engagement with it. And that cognitive engagement, it's jupa, that's the word that they use for that, uh, that cognitive engagement, which is uh, what awareness means, uh, can be of any kind. So it could be understanding the object, but it could also be not understanding the object. It could be paying attention to the object. It could be inattentive of the object, although it's a cognitive object. So we shouldn't think that because of the word awareness, it means that you actually are conscious and know the object. And third, there was like 
Knowing, not knowing, concentrating, not concentrating. Well, I didn't say concentrating. Yeah. Paying attention yeah. or not paying attention. Concentration is very different from attention. Attention is the mind going to an object. Concentration is the mind staying on the object. They're different mental factors. Yilacheva yeah, is attention, concentration, dignison. Mm-hmm. The third pair you said was also know, knowing, not knowing, attentive, not attentive, and something else you said. Conscious or unconscious. Okay. And the word merely adds to this that uh, this is all that's happening. There is no separate entity, mind, like some machine that's making it happen, nor is there a separate agent, me, that is either making it happen or observing it. That point of there not being a separate me that is observing this is very crucial in meditation because very often when we meditate it seems as, and especially when we're watching our mind, watching the content of the mind and these sort of things, uh, it seems as though there's a separate me sitting in the back of our head watching all of this and observing. That is a big fault in meditation. Очень важно, важно в нашей медитации, поскольку существует во всех нас тенденция при медитации, особенно при наблюдении там, за дыханием, за током наших мыслей, за происходящим в нашем уме, воображать себе существование в задней части головы некого я, который является ну, observer, да, который наблюдает за всем этим со стороны и смотрит за некой отдельной сущностью, отличной сущностью умом. Вот эта идея должна искореняться. When we are doing meditation, whether it's on the nature of the mind or whatever it might be, we can have understanding as a mental, uh, well, it's not just a mental factor, but uh, we can have understanding what's going on as part of the meditation. It's part of that state of mind, but there isn't a separate me as an entity divorced from this whole thing that understands. So you just want to accompany your meditation with understanding, but not have somebody separate from it who's understanding. That's a very delicate uh, differentiation. Понимание, 
которая есть я, атман, который смотрит со стороны на ум, медитирующий и анализирует его. Это часть самой медитации, это процесс или поток этого понимания. When we read or when we listen to somebody speaking, there is understanding as part of that cognition, isn't there? Когда мы смотрим на печатные слова, когда мы читаем книгу, или мы слушаем чью-то речь, параллельно с этим сенсорным восприятием, визуальным или аудио, присутствует поток понимания того, что написано в книге, или того, что говорит этот человек. So understanding accompanies the reading, it accompanies the listening to language, but we don't consciously think or feel there's a separate me from the reading and from the listening to somebody speak who is understanding it, do we? Correct? So think about this because that's exactly the same way in which we need to meditate, particularly when we're meditating on understanding the nature of things like the mind. Let's think about that for a moment. Also, while you're thinking about it, try to think about it just with understanding accompanying the thinking and without a feeling of a separate me who's doing the thinking. It's just thinking. If we ask who's thinking, well, I'm thinking it's not somebody else thinking, but that me who's doing the thinking is not like some ping-pong ball separate from the whole thing. Okay. Are there any questions on that? Now, this is a very important point to be able to understand that this mental activity is occurring every single moment. There's the arising of a cognitive object, there's a cognitive engagement with that object. Those are two ways of describing the same phenomenon, the same activity, and there's no separate me or mine doing it. Знание, восприятие, понимание – это вторая сторона этой медали, этого же процесса. 
и отсутствие при этом какого-либо отдельного отличного ума механизма или меня я. And this mental activity, the exact same mental activity, the exact same defining characteristics, is occurring regardless of what the content of that mental activity might be, regardless of the cognitive object. And regardless of what subsidiary awarenesses are accompanying that cognition, whether it's a disturbing emotion, whether it is a positive emotion, whether it's a lot of concentration, a little concentration, it makes absolutely no difference. Because, uh, after all, we're focusing on the conventional nature of the primary consciousness in the cognition. Right, the eye consciousness, the ear consciousness, the mental consciousness, and so on. Now, of course, the nature of the primary consciousness and the nature of the subsidiary awarenesses that accompany it are exactly the same. They all are in one package of a cognition. И, безусловно, не нужно говорить, что а, относительная или условная природа основного ума и относительная или условная природа вторичных, сопутствующих ему ментальных функций или факторов а, также идентичны. Безусловно, это просто некий пакет а, состояния ума, а, действующих, присутствующих в данный момент. But by looking at the nature of the primary consciousness, it makes it a little bit simpler because the secondary uh, the secondary oh, the subsidiary awarenesses have in addition to the basic defining characteristic of being a, a way of knowing something they also have their own individual defining characteristics of you know the characteristic of love or the characteristic of uh, hatred so to make it simpler we look at the defining characteristics of the principle of the primary consciousness itself Now, when we look then 
at the Buddhist path we find that if we that the disturbing emotions you know the the, the and the suffering that we have in other words the first and second noble truths you know all the problems of uh, samsara the causes for them these type of things all of these have, are ways of being aware of something aren't they they are experiences and as such they all have the same conventional nature of the mind And when we look at the fourth noble truth, these true pathways, these are all the good qualities, all the understandings and so on, the states of mind that are free of the first and second noble truths, all of that is likewise mind, it's mental activity, it's an experience, has the same conventional nature. And the third noble truths, true stoppings of the first two noble truths, that occurs on mental continuum, on the basis of mind. No, it occurs on the basis of the mind. Hmm. In other words, <laughs> well, anyway, so mind is crucial here in terms of both samsara and nirvana, if we want to use the usual terminology. Purification of all these things that we need to get rid of is on the basis of the mind. Building up the two networks, building up good qualities, all of that is on the basis of the mind. All the actions of our speech and of our body are based on intentions and so on that come the basis of the mind. And so, this Mahamudra meditation on uh, the nature of the mind, both conventional and deepest nature, is totally crucial to this whole Buddhist 
path. Not something which is just an exotic, you know, separate uh, uh, practice that somehow magically is going to help us uh, in our Buddhist progress. It's very central to the entire subject matter of the path. Also, it's very relevant to helping us with daily life problems. What we want to do is to not get caught up in the content of any moment of cognition, any moment of mind. So, regardless of any object of cognition, regardless of any types of mental factors that accompany our cognition, makes absolutely no difference in terms of the nature of the mind. It's still an arising of a cognitive object and a cognitive engagement with it, and nothing more. And it's nothing more than that, so it's no big deal regardless of what the content might be of any moment of experience. The Karmakagyu uh, descriptions of uh, the Mahamudra process use an image which is very helpful here which is the image of the ocean the various thoughts that we have the various cognitions disturbing emotions etc are just like waves on the surface of the big extensive deep ocean And it doesn't matter what the shape of the wave is, it doesn't matter how big it is, it doesn't matter how small it is, still water. And it's nothing more than water. And it arises on the ocean and it settles back on the ocean and that's all. 
она возникает и в воды океана на поверхности океана, и в нем же растворяется неминуемо. So to quote the young Serkan Rinpoche, nothing special. <laughs> well, nothing special. There's nothing special about you know anger. There's nothing special about uh, love. There's nothing special about happiness. About unhappiness. Nothing special. No, no big deal. It's just. Ничего особенного в любви, ничего особенного в ненависти, ничего особенного в страданиях. Это все лишь, 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 все, что, лишь то, что происходит, как мы это So, no reason to get excited, no reason to get upset. Нет причин, таких достойных причин возбуждаться сильно по этому поводу, переживать сильно по этому поводу, радоваться, негодовать. That, after all, is the basic teaching in terms of what's usually translated as the eight worldly dharmas, the eight transitory things in life, whether people praise us or criticize us, same thing, what's the difference? Just words. That is extremely, extremely helpful if we can keep this uh, understanding in our everyday experience. Some sort of uh, disturbing emotion comes up, well, it's just arising and engaging. I mean, that's all. I'm seeing the wall and, you know, there's an image of a wall, hologram of a wall, and there is this emotion that's happening at the same time as well. It's um, no big deal. It's just arising and, uh, and awareness. Nothing else. Очень важно хранить это осознавание в течение дня, ибо оно помогает нам относиться правильным образом ко всему происходящему вокруг. Какие-то тревожащие эмоции, ничего особенного. Мы смотрим на стену, у нас в уме возникает голограмма этой стены. Параллельно с ней существуют какие-то тревожащие эмоции. Это все, что там есть, ничего особенного. So we don't get caught up in it, is the point. If we get a, uh, a room in a hotel and there's a nice view, or there's a terrible view, or the wall is nicely painted, or there's the paint is peeling, so what? It's just a, you know, you could get caught up in it, oh, that's so terrible, and then, you know, you, you really experience a tremendous amount of suffering. But why? I mean, that, that just is unpleasant. It's just the awareness of a cognitive object. There's nothing else, so no big deal. Если мы вселяемся в какую-то комнату в отеле, в гостинице, и у нас хороший вид из окна, или у нас отвратительный вид из окна, и стена стены свежевыкрашены, красивые обои, или они облупились, и сказать, обои свисают, какая разница? Мы можем зацепиться за это и сильно переживать отвратительный вид, облупленные стены и страдать по этому поводу. А можем сказать себе, это всего лишь объект восприятия, который возник в уме и познается, но это лишь не более того. Нет никакого я, нет ума, нет страдающего. И относиться к этому спокойно и избежать всех этих There's a bad smell. Okay, so it's a bad smell. Nothing else. 
You don't have to get excited about it. You don't have to get upset. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't take action. We don't do anything. You know, there's loud noise outside. You know, somebody's banging on a metal thing with a hammer. Now, there's no reason to get upset about that. You know, it's just the noise, just the sound. No big deal. However, it will cause problems and inconvenience in a recording when other people listen to it in a different setting. And so you take action. But you don't get upset. You don't suffer. Same thing. I recently, a few weeks ago, had my laptop computer stolen on a train. And uh, I lost uh, a number of files that I hadn't backed up and some other things that were in the computer case. So, now you have a choice. <laughs> Here's a, something that has ripened from karma, something that now you're experiencing. I'm experiencing seeing no computer bag up on the bag, on the luggage rack. <laughs> and the train is stopped and you have to get off. <laughs> so, now you have a choice of really getting very upset and angry and uh, uh, tremendous suffering or you just accept the reality of the situation. Right, here it is, you know, there's a rising of now a cognitive object, you know, no computer there. Uh, you know, I'm aware of it, I understand it. It's just a mental event that has come about as a ripening of karma and many other circumstances. So, no big deal, nothing special, what do I expect from samsara? Of course, things like this will happen. And then you just deal with it. Go to the lost and found department, see if they can uh, locate it, which they didn't, 
speak to the I have a, a patron who who bought the computer for me, spoke with him, he was very happy to buy me another computer and no big deal. That's it. And spent a couple weeks re constructing the files that I lost and finished. No suffering. Very little suffering, I should say. Hmm. I mean, a few things I couldn't replace, but okay, can't replace them. We have a saying in English, no use in crying over spilt milk. <laughs> it's spilled, finished. <laughs> hmm. So, like that, if one can not get caught up in the content of any moment of experience, even if it's a not very nice ripening of karma, and just understand that it's just an experience, it's just the arising of an object and awareness of it, you know, engaging with it, and then just deal with it. You minimize your suffering. I mean, still being a samsaric being, of course, there's a little bit of sadness associated with this, but uh, there, there's no, what should we say? This is the direction to go in for overcoming even that. Actually, it's a very interesting phenomenon <laughs> because uh, there's quite a difference between what's going on in your own mind, which could be quite quiet about the whole thing, and then when you tell your friends and you have to explain it, then, what should we say, other circumstances come up which can bring other emotions. Either they're more upset than you are, so you have to calm them down, <laughs> or somehow you have to show some sort of, uh, let's say, say, emotional response to the whole situation. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
близких или знакомых и можете столкнуться с более эмоциональной реакцией, чем ваша. То есть вы совершенно спокойны, а человек переживает, и заводит вас в своей реакции. Либо наоборот, реагируя на что-то или рассказывая что-то, вы должны показать какую-то реакцию, чтобы, так сказать, о вас самому, что вы нормальный человек, да, или, или на чью-то ситуацию реагирует эмоционально, чем на свою, или чем он на свою, да? So, anyway, these meditations, as I say, it's very important to realize that they're not just abstract meditations that you do sitting in your meditation chamber and when uh, you're dealing with daily life, it's totally irrelevant. These are very relevant, very helpful in daily life. And the more familiar we are with this type of meditation process, with this type of understanding, whether you sit and formally meditate on it or not, but uh, thinking about it and understanding it and trying to apply it, the more familiar we are with that, the more automatically it will just arise in any situation, particularly a difficult situation. Yeah, much more difficult is when we are in situations in which very strong, disturbing emotions come up to apply it then. But if it's just a situation and the strong, disturbing emotion hasn't come up yet, then, you know, if you can catch it before that, it's uh, much easier. Безусловно, ситуация сложнее, если наш ум уже охвачен какой-то сильной, такой интенсивной, тревожащей эмоцией, каким-то обращением сознания, реагировать верно, действительно, наилучшим образом тогда. Но гораздо проще, когда мы сталкиваемся с каким-то когнитивным актом, осознаем его, и эмоции еще не возникло, и у нас, так сказать, свобода выбора, как реагировать, как себя вести, здесь, конечно, гораздо, гораздо легче сохранить самообладание и поступить в идеальный путь. How you apply this thing would be any time after losing my computer. If I'm sitting or whatever and the thought arises, oh, you know, I lost my computer, immediately apply this method that it's just the arising of a thought, it's just a mental object, it's just, you know, an awareness of a mental object, that's all it is, and don't follow out the thought. Mm. So, the way that uh, Panchen Lama describes the meditation, he says that after the, you dissolve the uh, guru in your mind, after making requests, that you imagine with the dissolution that all appearances, all thoughts, everything dissolves. All appearances, all thoughts around you. 
Everything dissolves. He says, you know, here it says, um, absorb for a while unwaveringly. He says, uh, dissolve your visualized guru into yourself. Absorb for a while unwaveringly in the state in which all haphazard appearance making and appearances have been contracted until they have disappeared. Haphazard is the really important word here. Mm-hmm. Haphazard means just uh, oh, haphazard. Everything is chaotic. Chaotic. Contracted means that it's brought down. Contracted is like when you have some sort of a telescope or something that pulls out and you push it together, it's contracted. Mm-hmm. Or an umbrella, you contract it, you know, it folds in on itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is not a, a, a voidness meditation on uh, or any meditation on the clear light mind or anything like that in which uh, uh, we imagine all appearances and appearance making uh, uh, contract uh, back in we're speaking more in terms of the chaotic you know all the junk all the junky type of uh, uh, thoughts and the images that come up and all of that we try to imagine that as the guru dissolves into us all of that calms down and uh, dissolves back uh, into us. And then he says, uh, do not contrive anything with thoughts such as expectations or worries. So don't, I mean, this is a standard instruction in every meditation. Don't expect that you're going to, you know, have, you know, spectacular experience and results and don't worry that I'm not going to have any. 
и не создавайте никаких ментальных предвкушений и ожиданий в отношении своих переживаний в медитации и опыта в медитации. Это довольно стандартная такая инструкция для а, практикующего. Не создавайте концептуальных ожиданий, что у меня будет такой-то такой опыт, такое-то такое переживание. И не ожидайте, а, не а, переживайте, если каких-то переживаний или опыта у вас не будет, да? Он продолжает говорить, что это не значит, что вы отключаете все атенции, как если вы отключаете или упали на сон. Это означает, что вы отключаете все атенции. Это означает, что вы отключаете все атенции. Полностью расслабляете, отпуская все так, словно вы проводили какое-то обморочное состояние. Rather, you must tie your attention to the post of mindfulness in order not to wander and station alertness to be aware of any mental movement. Вместо этого вам следует привязать или закрепить фокус своей внимательности и привязать фокус своей внимательности или свою концентрацию к столбу пометования тем, чтобы не отвлекаться и настроить свою убедительность так, чтобы она отдавала себе отчет во всех ментальных движениях. Now, to understand this, the instructions here, we have to be very clear about the definitions of attention, mindfulness and alertness. If we don't have that clear in our minds, not going to be able to meditate properly and these are three very distinct and different mental factors and not easy to translate. Okay, so what are the definitions of these mental factors? We need to use them in all meditations whatsoever. So it's important to know these. Attention, literally the word is to take an object to mind. Hmm. So it is taking an object as our cognitive object. Okay, that can be strongly or uh, not so, or, or weakly. Mm. Then mindfulness is like the mental glue. I think this is a very helpful image. It's the same word as uh, to recall or to remember. 
Yeah, but as you see, the problem with our Western word memory is that it is talking about when you put something into your memory. Here, we're talking about when you are actually remembering something, which means that you are, what it's referring to is the mental hold. It's the mental factor that holds on to an object of cognition and prevents you from letting go. So it's holding on to the object and it prevents you from letting go. Hmm. So then, and so this has to do with the mental hold. Mm. And then what's usually translated as concentration, which is more uh, mental fixation, is the placement. It's staying on the object. Mm. There are remaining. Mm. Right, mindfulness is not letting go. This is remaining. Mm. And attention is going to the object. And alertness is watching, not as something totally separate, but part of the whole thing, watching to uh, see what is the quality of the mental hold of mindfulness. Right, it's watching to see, is this hold too tight, too loose, has it let go? This is what it's watching. And it's like the alarm system. And when it notices something wrong, then the alarm goes off, ding, 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 and attention is what then corrects the situation. So the attention will then be a resuming type of attention to, you know, go back to the object. It could be a more painstaking attention to go to the object more strongly. It's the attention that actually has to be reset. The alertness is just the alarm system. Это может быть просто такой резюмин, то есть возобновление внимания, в общем-то, 
практически автоматически, да, а, отошли, вернулись. Либо это может быть более такой болезненный, требующий а, усилий процесс, если ум наш не хочет возвращаться. Но так или иначе, внимание ответственно за то, чтобы вновь а, вернуть ум к объекту. Post, you know, you bang the tent post, and the mindfulness keeps hold, like of the tent, and you tie your attention to that, so that your attention is always going to that object that you have the mental hold on to, and then alertness is watching it. Майндфулнес или вот это пометование уподобляет такому шесту, несущему шесту шатра, да, и какому такому прочному колу, который вбит надежно в землю, а внимание наше привязано к нему веревкой и не может никуда деться. То есть оно всегда будет посредством этой веревки направлено и удерживаться у а, того вбитого шеста пометования, а рядом будет находиться стабилизация, да, эта система движения и оповещения, которые именуются длительными, и о том, все ли нормально, не оторвалось ли внимание от этой веревки, не ушло ли от объекта пометования. And uh, it says, don't cease all attention as if you had fainted or fallen asleep. So it's not as though you're no longer paying attention, that the mind is no longer going to objects. Hmm. Now, what are we focusing on? What is the mindfulness on? What are we holding on to? We're holding on to the nature, conventional nature of each moment of our awareness. Whatever the object, whatever the content of it might be. Это относительная природа, о которой мы говорили, поверхностная природа каждого момента нашего сознания, вне зависимости от того, какой когнитивный объект в данном случае у него присутствует. And we try to do this in the, here in the situation in which the uh, mind is quiet. In Dzogchen meditation, uh, the way that one uh, starts to do something like this is in a total, uh, what I would call a sense deprivation zone. In other words, in a completely dark, quiet room in which I, you have a minimal amount of sense perception because then you can really uh, in that situation observe the nature of the mind by itself without it you know being involved with sense perception although of course you're going to feel if you start to become really quite uh, uh, attentive you're going to feel you know your clothing on your body and the seat underneath you but it's minimal Итак, те условия, в которых данная медитация по распознаванию э, имитации на природе ума выполняется в контексте традиции Дзогчен, э, отличным, выполняется она в условиях, которые я называю условиями полных 
полной сенсорной изоляции, да? минимальное влияние извне, минимальное количество импульсов сенсорных извне, то есть полная затемненность, отсутствие какого-либо звука, контакта, отвлечения и так далее. Ибо именно в такой ситуации без отвлечений сенсорных контактов наиболее очевидно поступает природа нашего сознания, природа нашего ума. И если, конечно, сознание наше обострится, лишенное всех отвлекающих сигналов, то мы начнем ощущать то, чему раньше не уделяли особое внимание, контакт нашего тела с одеждой, контакт с подушками, которые мы сидим и прочее, но тем не менее. Really understanding of what we mean by attention, mindfulness, and alertness. And let me give you an example of how easy it is to misunderstand. If you don't keep all, if you don't know all the definitions. There is a term in uh, Tibetan, in Loric ways of knowing, which is called Nanglamangeba which means, I used to translate it as inattentive perception, which is absolutely wrong. So once I asked uh, Bakula Rinpoche, who is a great, great lama, since uh, deceased, I asked him, when you do Mahamudra meditation and you're focusing on the nature of the mind, doesn't that meditation then become, in, you know, because you're not focusing on the content of the cognition, doesn't that cognition then become inattentive perception and therefore it would be a non-valid Cognition, your meditation. This is what I asked him. Do you follow the question? фокусируясь на относительной природе нашего ума. Да? Мы не направляем фокус внимания к объектам, возникающим, а анализируем, пытаемся сосредоточиться на собственной природе, на качествах относительной природы нашего ума. Является ли тогда наше восприятие, которое идет в этот момент, да, этого когнитивного объекта, вот именно этим невнимательным на ломане, да, невнимательным восприятием, inattentive perception, If it's an in, inattentive perception, if it's a non-lamangeba, it is not a valid cognition. 
No, it's just a, it's no. one of it's a non-valid commission. Same on me. Hmm. And he explained to me that my understanding was completely wrong. My question made absolutely no sense. And the problem was that I didn't really uh, understand the definition of this term Nangwamangeba. Mm. A perception is Nangwamangeba if it is not a decisive cognition of what appears to it. Decisive means decisively it's this and not that. Has nothing to do with attention. So, uh, <laughs> so it is a non-determining cognition. It doesn't determine its object as this or that. that. That's non-lumangeva. Well, I'll get to that. I'm just saying first, what's the definition? Oh, no. So the whole point is that uh, the cognition is not non-lumangeva because you are determining that the mind is this and it's not that. It's just that within the cognition, you're not paying attention to the content, but that doesn't affect whether it is a neighbor or not a neighbor, whether it's decisive or not. You were considering non-lumangeva That's why I say the understanding of the terminology, of this technical terminology, is very important. So the cognition is valid. Meditation is a valid cognition, even though you're not paying attention to the content of the uh, of that moment of awareness. Nevertheless, it is valid because it uh, correctly takes its object, which is the conventional nature of the mind, and it's decisive about it that it's this and not that. Mm. Just because in this meditation we are not paying attention to the content of a moment of awareness. Uh, we do not pay attention to the cognitive object we're only paying attention to within the cognition the um, what should we say uh, the nature of the mind that doesn't mean that it's an invalid cognition. 
лишь этого факта, это не означает, что акт этот является не проманой, да, то есть неверным познанием, не является верным познанием. Because it is and, and it apprehends the subject. Потому что он в конце концов познает свой объект. Because it takes its object accurately, which is the nature of the mind, and decisively. Decisive means that it determines it's this and not that. It's not exactly analogous, but we can understand it by the following analogy. When I look in this direction, uh, I see a whole field of vision. Now, within this field of vision, I am paying particular attention to this person, and I determine that this person is Anton and not Fritz or somebody else. Now, <laughs> that is a valid cognition, even though within that cognition I am inattentive of the other people who are in my field of vision. I'm not paying attention to absolutely everything in the field of vision. So just because you don't pay attention to equal attention to absolutely everything in the field of vision, doesn't mean that that cognition is not valid. Hmm. So this is, I mean, it gets a little bit complicated. It's not exactly analogous because uh, in Mahamudra we're dealing with mental cognition, not sense cognition, and that's a completely different situation. Uh, a slightly different analysis, but we can understand the analogy here. Nalamangeba is a non-determining cognition. So you are not determining that it is this and not that. For example, when this is Kalupa analysis, when you have a stream of uh, a certain, what should we say, phase of seeing somebody, then, uh, and you're determining, you know, there's this and not that, it's a person and not, um, you know, a lamp, or something like that, even if it's just on that level, it doesn't mean that you have to know the name, mm-hmm. then the last moment of that stream of continuity, just before you start to look at something else, you're no longer determining. You're no longer decisive about the object. That's the example. 
а в то же самое время, так сказать, то невнимательное восприятие, да, которое, о котором мы говорили, которым это восприятие не является, я спросил, как же его описать, чем оно является, оно то, что действительно не отдает себе отчета в том, что такой это объект, чем он является, чем он не является. Пример тому, мы наблюдаем, так сказать, зрительное восприятие, зрительным сознанием некого человека. У нас есть поток восприятий этого человека и идентификации этого человека как кого-то, а не лампочки. Да? Мы смотрим на него. И последний момент, перед тем, как мы это Гелупинское объяснение, да? перед тем, как мы переводим наше внимание на какой-то другой объект, последний момент восприятия этого человека уже не будет являться таким различающим. So the last moment, the cognitive object is still appearing, Nangla, but it's no longer Ngeba. You're no longer decisive about it, that it's this and not that, because you're just about to leave it. But why it necessarily must be the last moment, or we can just be distracted with someone and still watching that person, but be completely observed in. That's another example. <laughs> we can be distracted and not decisive. I just gave the classic example. That's what you usually give, like when you listen to the charming music and then seeing something without seeing it like that. Okay. You have an example, yes? I... Yes, I mean another example can be that uh, uh, we're listening to music and the seeing of the wall is a non-determining cognition, but uh, I gave the classic example that you find in the text. You see, the problem with these examples is that we tend to think that what is missing here is attention, or what is weak is attention, and that was my misunderstanding. It's not that the attention is, is the attention may be weak, that's besides the point, but that's not the defining characteristic. The defining characteristic is that it's not decisive. Они могут натолкнуть вас на мысль ошибочную, да, что дело здесь в недостатке внимания, каково и была, в общем-то, моя ошибка, да, а дело здесь не в недостатке внимания, хотя он не присутствует, да, но он не является определяющим противостоянием сознания, а определяющим является отсутствие развлечения. Человек это лампочка, да, а внимания там, конечно, мало. For example, Boricheta manifests even when we are distracted about something else. We're not paying attention to the bodhicitta, but it's still decisive. I'm going to attain enlightenment and not attain, you know, being the richest person on the planet. Yeah, the un, uh, unlabored. 
та спонтанная бахичита, да, или непроизводная, как бы естественная бахичита, о которой мы говорим, в начале занятия она присутствует, так сказать, фоном у нас всегда, как мы говорили. И даже если мы о ней не думаем, а смотрим на стену, она, тем не менее, дефинитивно, так сказать, и уверенно мыслит, я стремлюсь к просветлению. И поэтому она не является вот этим невнимательным восприятием в полном, так сказать, его смысле, о котором мы сейчас говорим. It has little attention. I mean, the complication, I don't really want to get into this, is that according to the Galupa Lorik's mental cognition, mental consciousness, you can't have Nanglamangeva. Nanglamangeva only deals with sense consciousness, but we can think in terms of, you know, the factors here of is it decisive, is there attention or not? It's not that mental cognition cannot be non-decisive. What it means is that this category of non-determining cognition is a category that pertains only to sense consciousness. So let us, uh, before we take a break, just spend a few seconds trying to digest what we just said, the difference between attention, mindfulness, and alertness. And when we are meditating on Mahamudra, we are still being, uh, we might not be attentive of the content of our cognition, but we are attentive of the nature of the mind. Mindfulness holds on to that, and alertness keeps a watch as to the quality of the hold. So we'll try to do a few seconds now. Yeah, to, to just... Давайте сейчас перед тем, как мы делаем перерыв, кратко, мы несколько мгновений попробуем поразмышлять на темы, которые мы обсуждали. Я опять же помню, что мы пытаемся удерживать свой ум, не обращая внимания на контент нашего воспитательного процесса в данный момент, на его содержание. Мы пытаемся размышлять по анализировать свой ум на природе его относительной природе, условной природе на его возникновение объекта, на познание этого объекта и на том, что кроме этого ничего более в этом не участвует. So now just try to understand that. Так, просто понимать. 